Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Thank you for joining us for part six of our series on heaven. This morning, Pastor Rob talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, welcome. Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center. If you thought you were at Big Bear Catholic Church or the Bear Valley Community Church, something else with a couple of C's, you're in the, in the right place this morning because this is where God wanted you. Amen. Well, it's so good that you've come to join us together and to worship our God and Savior. And I'm excited about what God is doing in our congregation, and I believe what He wants to do here in this valley. And I pray He's doing it in your individual life. Pray that you're growing in, in your fellowship with God. I pray that you're, you're being wooed. This morning you might be here because you just said, I have to be in church today. And God is calling you and wooing you, and that's a wonderful place to be because He has a plan. The Bible says that I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Then you'll call unto me. And that's what God has a plan for each of us, that, he would, that we would draw closer to him and then he would bless us. And, and not just in, in tangible blessings of new cars, but he wants to bless your life with hope and peace and joy in all the trials and things that we go through on a daily basis. And then he's got something prepared for us at the end of this life that we cannot even imagine. And so with that, let's get on with our study. We are continuing our study into the, the last days, and we've been talking about heaven and the th- events leading up to heaven. Last week, we looked in depth at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, which was the Bema seat. And what a great joy to study the Word, to be encouraged and challenged. I know I was, and I hope that you were too. The study in the Word should ultimately bring us comfort, but our comfort doesn't come from our desires to feel comfortable. I'll say that again. You know, the ultimate goal of the word is to bring us comfort, but our comfort doesn't come because we feel comfortable or our desire to feel comfortable. Our comfort really comes from our conformity to the will of God. As we conform to him and to his will, we're transformed, our minds are renewed, our hope grows, and then our comfort grows because we know him, and we're being transformed into his likeness. And so, you know, sometimes we, we might have an idea that we come to church and just to 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 be encouraged, and to feel good. Well, sometimes you can't feel good until you feel bad. Just like when you go to the doctor. Sometimes if you've got an an infection, if you were to cut yourself and then the scab were to to grow over and you have an infection inside, the doctor actually has to hurt you to to heal you. You might have to experience some pain. And so the ultimate goal in church is not to make you feel better, but to, to make you better in Jesus. And so sometimes we have to feel a little uncomfortable even as we, as we get challenged and we grow. But our goal is to, to continue to be transformed, to know Him, so that we can know the one who knows us fully and perfectly. And what's, we cannot hide from God. And so it's, it's a much better and a, a much quicker approach. If you've been battling and struggling with the Lord for a lot of years, you know, I just want to encourage you, give up. You know, He's going to win. And, and so, and once you do, you're going to find uh, so much more joy and, and peace and strength in your life. So we've been going over these things. Last week was the judgment seat of Christ. This, this week, we were coming to the next event in our eschatological survey. Eschat, you know, it's not a fun word. But it's basically just our, our study and survey in the things that are happening in the end times. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And uh, I like to eat, so this one's really an interesting study for me. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. 
And as we turn there, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, in opening your word this morning, we need a blessing. We need it to come to life. We ask that you would speak to each of us. God, that you would uh, encourage us to draw closer to you. Father, we thank you for the hope that's in you, that's in, the, in your appearing when you come back a second time for us, Lord. God, and the, and the hope that's in spending eternity with you forever in heaven. Bless this time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So we're talking about the end times. And what we've, what we've gone through is that we, we believe that there is going to be, uh, in the end of times, there's going to be a rapture where the saints of God are caught up to heaven. And again, heaven is where God is. And we're going to be caught up to, in heaven. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. And there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ where believers will stand before him. That's what we talked about last week. And then after the judgment seat of Christ, we believe that there's going to be the marriage supper and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want to say that, that in Christianity, throughout, throughout the church, there are different views about these events when they take place. There's different views of how literal the thousand years or the seven years will be, of whether there will be a literal supper, a marriage supper um, at the end. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for, for understanding and reading and study. And I'm giving you what I believe, what I have found in the scriptures to be what I think is, is trying to be spoken. That I, there is going to be a literal thousand years. There is a, a rapture. There's a literal seven-year tribulation period. And that this, the wedding supper, or the marriage of the Lamb, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb, is going to be a time where we rejoice with the Lord. And he gave us a picture, I believe, in studying for this, I started studying the Jewish wedding to get some understanding of how these things connect. And so this morning, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Jewish wedding ceremony. And so, and, and even in that, there's d- different branches and understandings of what they do today and how, when these practices came about. But in my study, it's been a great time. And so we learn as we read the Bible that the Bible, and specifically Jesus and and Paul spent a lot of time talking about marriage and weddings and brides and grooms. He used this picture much to give us a, try to help us to have an understanding of the church's relationship with God. At the beginning, Israel's relationship with God, and now the church's relationship with the Lord. The book of Song of Solomon is a beautiful picture between the groom and the bride, how much he loves her. And it's you know, this is one of those, they should have a warning on this book because it gets pretty hot in the book of Song of Solomon. You know, you've got you to you gotta be careful when you read that who's, who's listening, right? But if you allow it to really speak, there's actually some amazing imagery that happens in the book of Song of Solomon. And it's about the, the beloved and the, the groom and how much he loves her and, and, and the intimacy that they, they share in their heart and the in- intimacy that they share physically. And that's a picture of God and his church. Now, some of us are very uncomfortable with this idea of intimacy and understanding that God wants to be intimate with his people. But he uses this understanding of a bride and a groom and a marriage because his relationship with us is supposed to be an intimate one. 
It's not just a contractual agreement, but there is love and passion between us and our God. In addition to the Song of Solomon, I want to read a couple of scriptures. You can make some notes. Or um, Isaiah 62.5. Isaiah 62.5 says this, As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Again, drawing a parallel between us and God as the bride and the bridegroom. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. And so there's always been that longing from the church, from God's people, towards the Lord that has really been much like a bride to her groom. In uh, Luke chapter 14, there's a parable. Uh, we're not going to read it, but it talks about the Great Supper. These are all references to, to um, brides and grooms. Matthew chapter 22 talks about the wedding feast, the parable of the wedding feast that's to come. And then in Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the ten virgins who are trimming their lamps and waiting for the, the, the groom to come and being ready and not being ready. Why does God spend so much time using this analogy? Is because... In Ephesians chapter 5, he comes out and says it plainly. Let's go there real quick, or semi-quick if you want. Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God's Electric Power Company. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We've read this. Many of you had this read at your, at your wedding. It talks about husband and wife, marriage. Wives, submit to your husband. I used to own a wedding chapel. I did about 1,500 weddings over the years. And a lot of brides would come to me and say, hey, can we remove that part out of the wedding? They'd actually say that. Could you just get rid of that part? Wives, submit to your husband. And it was a great opportunity for me to take them to the Scripture and says, well, you know, let, let me read to you where it comes from out of the Bible. And then after that it says, you know, the husband is the head of the wife. But then it says, husbands, love your wife as your own body. And I would talk about what that looked like. And, and every time, every time the, the wife says, oh, please leave both of those in there. <laughs> because in the context of understanding wives submitting to their husbands, in the context of a man loving his wife as Christ loved the church as his own body, it's not hard to submit to. Amen. And so we go through this, and, and we as pastors and counselors, and, and, and at your wedding, you hear these, these uh, directives for a wife to submit and a husband to love your wife. But down in verse 32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, so he gives all these things, but he says, But I'm also talking about Christ and the church. Christ is the groom. We are the bride. And he already gave himself up for us. And we submit to him. So there's a picture that we are the bride of Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians 11.2, I'm going to read. And in the ESV, English Standard Version, it says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. I feel a divine jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And there's Paul's picture that we were betrothed to God, that we're spotless, that we're blameless, and this is the relationship that the Bible, that God wants us to understand that we have with the Father. This is the one place, you know, because everyone here, we're called the sons of God. 
Women, too, we're the sons of God. Well, we're also called the bride of Christ. So us men, we get to be the bride. Okay? But we're the bride of Christ, and God is our beloved. God is our groomsman. And when we're talking about these, these last day events in the wedding supper of the Lamb, we get a picture of this relationship that God wants to have with us, that he, what he did in this, in this earth to have a, a relationship with him. So in this, in this study, we came, uh, I came across this wonderful correlation of a Jewish wedding. And understanding this and then rereading the scriptures of the end times, we're going to see a picture of what Jesus was talking to us about. Now, in, this, in, the, wedding, in, a, in the wedding supper, we, you know, we think of weddings as times of celebration. Um, it's, it's a great time. In every culture, it's a big deal. In a lot of other cultures, they celebrate for days. You know, three, four, five, six, seven days, this wedding will go on, and it's just a wonderful time in celebration. But in our Western culture, we've lost some of the understanding of what ancient cultures did and still do to this day in, in marriage. And, and one of them is the betrothal process. Now, we have to understand that, that in the ancient times, in Jewish weddings, when people were married, before they were married, they were engaged. They were betrothed to one another, and there was a process that happened. It was very serious. We've heard about this in, in the, when we, at Christmas time when we says that Mary was engaged to be Joseph. When he found out that she was going to have a baby, he went to divorce her quietly. And you've probably heard the sermons where he said, well, why did he have to divorce her? Because in the Jewish customs, once you're engaged, it's a legal agreement, and it cannot be broken without a legal break. And that still is the case today. In Jewish weddings still today, they have a legal side, and then they have a very spiritual and intimate side in their, in their marriage. Now, for us, again, in, the, in our culture, when we're ready to get married, we're, you know, it might be the man who pursues the woman. It might be the woman who pursues the man. You might find people, you know, you might find your mate on dating sites. Um, and the idea of an arranged marriage is extremely, extremely foreign to us. As our kids are getting older, Shannon and I have talked about more and more going, boy, maybe we should come up with the idea of arranged marriages for our kids. <laughs> right? and, and some of you have already gone through that process. Maybe and went, boy, I wish I could have picked the spouse for my, my child. But they still do that in other cultures and in the time of Christ, in the ancient times, in, in the Jewish faith, that's all they did. They would arrange their marriages for, for another. And even as you know, Paul says that I'm jealous over you with the godly jealousy, I have, I have espoused you, I betrothed you to one husband. That was part of the, the, his understanding in the process. So when a father or a mother would see that it was time in the ancient times for their child to get married, they would... They would often send somebody to another place to find the wife. We see this with Jacob. We see this you know, in, the, in the Old Testament where they would send their, their servant to go find the, the bride for their child. And so they would arrange this marriage and they would send, send a, an emissary to go and, and bring. And sometimes it was the child themselves who would be sent over to find the wife. And they would come and they would find the woman. And, and they would find the family, and there was a whole process that would have, to be, would have to be gone through. And it was a very long process, a very serious process of becoming engaged. You know, people today rush into a lot of things. Um, I, I wish we would actually look at engage, engagement more like they did back then, that engagement is really final. This is it. You spend a lot of time before the engagement, and when you get engaged, 
it's it's the it's the real deal. Um, in fact, we would uh, that we'll do that for another another time. But uh, and so the 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 son or an emissary would go to the family that they they were going to get the wife from, and then make a presentation to the father, and they would bring a gift. They would bring a gift to the father, and if he accepted that gift, then then the the daughter would be called out, and then she could say yes or no, whether she wanted to marry or not. And uh, so that, that gift would be, would be brought. And the servant then would leave that uh, payment, and he would go back to the, new, to the, to the groom, if, if the, it wasn't the groom himself. Um, and then the, if the groom's the father approved of the choice of the bride, the bridegroom would go and meet his bride face-to-face for the first time. And that began a up to a couple of year betrothal process where they were getting to know one another and they were engaged. Um, so one of the things as we, as we move on in this, is the next, next part would be the groom's promise. And now the groom himself would get involved in this in the scene and he would go, and he would meet with the bride for the first time. So, so the initial part says, this is what we want to do. And then he would go and meet with the, with the bride. And he would have to pr- pay a bride price. In, in uh, Hebrew, it's called the mohar. And he would have to pay a price to the bride. And it was, it was expensive. Sometimes it would be coins or something of, of extreme value. And if it was coins, the bride, if she accepted that, would actually uh, uh, put the coins on her headdress, on her veil, and she would wear the veil while she was engaged. But there was a bride price paid, kind of like when we, give, when we get married, we, we give an engagement ring. There's something of value. And then supposedly, supposedly, the, the groom would then send the price, when she accepted this, the groom would say, the price has been paid. And it was a declaration for everyone to know that she was his. When I read that, I went, that sounds a little familiar. 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The price has been paid. How about on the cross? It is finished. It's done. So there was this union that happened, and the bride price was paid. It was accepted, and now they were engaged. They were betrothed to be married. And so then the... the very next thing that would happen was, was a contract would actually be made. And the groom would come and he would present a legal contract of his promises of what he was going to do in this marriage. And it was, would be about caring for and taking care of and loving. And it was, it's called, a, I don't know if I say it right, a kathuba. And it was a document, a covenant promise that was signed on both sides that they agreed on the terms of the betrothal. And the the groom would provide for the needs of the bride. And, uh, and during this waiting period, remember, this is, this is a covenant. This is you can't break it. This is a very legal thing. And there was a ceremony that's, that's still done today. It's called the Tish. And T-I-S-C-H. And in this, it's not a real formal ceremony, but the groom and everyone ga- gathers together. I'm going to read, read, read this right from... From where I got it. it says the groom's tish. This is actually from a Jewish wedding site. This part it says the groom's tish is a less formal reception for the groom. 
It's the, it comes from the Yiddish word for table. And during the groom's tish, the male guest will come and greet him and perhaps share a bite to eat or a, or a lachaim in his honor. During the groom's tish, the official betrothal, the tenaim, is concluded and the marriage contract, the ketubah, is signed. Both documents are signed by the appropriate witnesses. The tenaim is then read aloud. That's the agreement. And they read, read this agreement aloud, and then they break a plate. They, they break a plate. That's what they do today. A ceremony during which the bride and groom's mothers, they smash a plate together, and it, it symbolizes the seriousness of the commitment to, between the families. And so and I was reading that, and I went, Jesus, hanging out with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. It's a covenant in my blood. And he begins to lay out his covenant and over the next chapters. And that's when we get done with the study of heaven, we're going to finish up in the book of John right in these exact passages where John's talking with his disciples. And he says, this is how I'm going to love you. This is what I'm going to do. And, and here we've read that. And it's like, but this is what they still do in the Jewish wedding. There's, they sit together and the groom says, this is how I'm going to love my bride. I am in a covenant relationship with her. Wow, that's what Jesus did with us. When he had that last supper, when he came, he says, you, I am proposing to you that you'll be mine and I'll be yours. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is a covenant that I'm making with you in my blood. And we know that, that the price that he paid for us was when he died on the cross. And he paid that price on the cross. And that's the bride price for us. So we're right in the midst of a Jewish wedding betrothal with the Lord God. Now, after this, th- this is amazing. But after this, the groom would, after he was accepted and they made this original agreement, he would, and in some places I believe they still do this, he would say, I'm going to prepare the hoopah for you. C H U P P A H, the hoopah. Okay? And, and it was a place, originally, it was a room that he would build on to the father's house. He would go back to the father's house and prepare a room where they would live. And he would say, I'm going to to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be with me also. And he would go and and they're very formal. They have these ceremonies. and, And so the bride would say, when are you coming back? Well, part of the issue in this is that the the hoopah wasn't ready until the dad said it was ready. He would examine it and say, listen, you need to do this, and you fix this wall, and you need to make this nicer. And so he would go, and, and it wasn't ready until the father said, your hoopah is ready. You can go back and get your bride. And so the woman would say, when are you coming back that we can finalize our, our wedding and our marriage? And the son would say, only the father knows. Only the father knows. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you and that that will be our dwelling place together. Hoopa! Woo! And it's, it's, just, it's just great. Now, today, if you've ever been to, to a Jewish wedding ceremony, who's everyone, anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? They, they put up a canopy. Have you seen the canopy? The canopy is called the chupa. And that canopy represents the dwelling place of, of the bride and the groom. 
because that was what it was originally called back in, in the ancient times. You know, people don't think call their house the chuppah anymore. But they did, and so they put the canopy up, and there's no walls on it and the, on a modern-day wedding. And the no walls represents that Abraham and Sarah were open to visitors. And so it's kind of a statement that says, may you also be open to, to entertaining strangers and having people in your home. And so they have this kupa still at the wedding today that represents the home where they would dwell. And so the, 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 the groom goes away, and he prepares the kupa. And when it's, when it's done, he would send an announcement ahead of time saying, I'm coming soon. And, and now this, is, now this is where I was, I was looking and reading. I thought, this is, this is amazing. And so I found, what I found is that they would send that. And it was, I believe it was semi-organized, wasn't completely out. But once the bride knew the time was coming, then she would get her bridesmaids around. And they would, they would stay awake and they would wait for him to come. And they would have her bridesmaids, and they would have their wicks trimmed and their lamps ready. So when he came, because he might come in the middle of the night. In fact, it was a, there, was, uh, there was one group of people that they would come in the middle of the night to, to come and get the bride so that they can begin the, the wedding ceremony. And as they were coming close to the village, they'd blow the shofar. I'm here. I'm coming. Wow. It's just amazing. And so Jesus is, is, is uh, you know, as he's giving this parable of the, or not the parable, but the story of, of us understanding what the, the uh, wedding of the lamb and the wedding supper of the lamb, it's amazing. You know, and, and I'm going to read John 14, 1 through 4, before I go on too far. We, we talked about it. When you study these things, you'll never read the Bible as the same again. You know that? It's just, it's just wonderful. John 14, 1 through 4 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms and many, man, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know in the way you know. So he's, he's coming back, and, and the, he's going to come back for the bride, and she's waiting, waiting there. She's got, she's got her gift that's the promise that he was going to come back. Remember, she paid the bride price, and she has the coins, and they're probably on her veil, and she's wearing her veil as a sign to everyone else that she doesn't belong. She's not on the open market. She belongs only to her groom, and those, that gift that he gave her was his promise that he's going to return. I think God gave us a promise that he was going to return also, didn't he? He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a promise. What's coming? And so, so he would go away, and then, then he would come back, and, and it could be a long time. It could be a couple of years even at times, but he would spend his time getting, getting ready. And so the, right before the, the actual wedding, the bride and groom would often fast. They'd often fast. And, and, up and up until they would just take a few days and they would fast as a, as a holy fast unto the Lord. And then on the day of the wedding, they would break their fast. And I thought, wow, didn't Jesus say, I will not drink of this wine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom? He says, I'm not going to celebrate again. I'm not going to do this again until I'm with you in the kingdom. 
And, and one of the things that the bride would do during this time, I need to speak faster. One of the things that the bride would do at this time is, is she would go into the mikvah, which is kind of like a baptism, and it represents cleansing. And so she would, she would get in into the mikvah. And she was also instructed that before she got married, she would make relationships right with people. And if, there were, if she had issues, she would seek forgiveness and ask forgiveness. And she would go into the mikvah or the baptism and say that you know, she was preparing herself, making herself ready and holy and righteous for her groom to come back. Wow. Is this amazing? See, this is the church. We're the church. And when Jesus went away to prepare a place for us, he said, be ready, prepare yourself. And he desired that we would put on the veil that says to everyone else around us, you can't have me because I'm promised. I'm betrothed to somebody else. I'm betrothed to the Lord. And, and he says, you know, be holy and to make ourselves holy. And we're washed with the water through the word of God. And we go through the process of being cleansed by him, even as the bride was cleansed in the mikvah, in the baptismal waters, the Jewish baptismal waters. And I just go, wow, this is awesome. This is us getting ready. And so, so the bride and groom would fast. She would go into the mikvah. I'll try to get through some of these pages quick. No, I, want, I want to talk. I'll just talk about this this other piece of of the wedding, and so so the time has come. The groom has gone away. He's prepared the 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 hoopah, and the house is ready. And he's coming back, and he's announcing. And he says, "I'm going to bring you. I'm going to come out. I'm going to come back, and you're going to come with me." And then is going to begin the second process. Remember, the first process was already legal. It was binding. He made a contract, a covenant with his bride and says, I, you are mine, I am yours, I am going to come again. So they are one, they can't break this, but they're not fully married. They, they're still lacking something. And so now becomes the wedding ceremony. Now back in Revelation 19.7, in Revelation 19.7, it talked about the wedding, the marriage of the Lamb. And that happens after the rapture, after we're taken up, we finally have the marriage and the marriage supper of the lamb. So the groom comes back. And the wedding attire, the, the groom would wear what was a, a kittel or a kittel, K-I-T-T-E-L. Um, and it was a white robe. It was a white robe. In Revelation 19, verse, verse 8 and verse 14. Go there, go there with me. After the judgment seat of Christ where we're cleansed finally, where everything is dealt with and our sins have been forgiven, but then we, we, we sit before that judgment seat of Christ and then it says that we're, we, we're glad we rejoice, verse 7, and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Sounds like a wedding dress to me. It sounds like this linen, the white linen that's donned for the bride to get married in. And it says it's, it was given for her the righteous acts of the saints. It's given to us because we've been cleansed, we've been purified. And now we're donned with these wedding gowns, these wedding dresses, if you will. And, and 
So as we go and we're about to meet the Lord, we're in righteous apparel and we're ready. We're ready. And the bridegroom comes and he sounds the shofar. Now at the wedding, the modern day Jewish ceremony, the, the canopy is now called the chuppah. This is at the very beginning of the wedding ceremony. The groom will go into the, under the chuppah and wait. And the bride will come just to the edge of the chuppah. And the groom will come out of the chuppah and bring the bride to himself, to his dwelling place. It sounds like the rapture to me when Christ, our groom, leaves his dwelling place to come to take us to his home, his bride coming to be with him. Now, you cannot be the bride of Christ unless you've received his proposal, unless you've said yes to what he's asked you. Now, it's important to remember that for most of us, we didn't go out looking for our groom but our groom came looking for us. And he sent an emissary, even that person maybe who witnessed to you and shared faith. And the question is, is did you receive the proposal? In all these times, and it may have happened more than once for you, where somebody came and said, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he wants to have a relationship and we use this word in, our, in church today. Do you, do, you, will, do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And some people keep saying no. No. The price isn't enough, I guess. See, you're only part of the bride of Christ. You're only able to partake in the wedding supper of the Lamb if you've received His proposal. And then in that time, are you wearing your veil? Are you telling the world, I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm promised to somebody else. I can't live a double life. In fact, I'm walking into the, the mikvah. I'm, I'm being cleansed and my life is changing and I'm making reparations and restorations with the people around me because my groom is coming. My beloved is coming for me. what's waiting for us if we've received his proposal. We receive that payment and he promises us, he gives us the Holy Spirit and says, I'm coming again. Be ready. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour, but I'm going to come for you. And when I come, will I find you ready? Will you be ready to come and have the marriage of the Lamb? Today is a great opportunity for you to say, I've heard this before and I've never accepted his proposal. Or I thought I accepted his proposal, but I'm understanding that, that there's more about becoming a bride, betrothed, than there is to just say, okay, that sounds like a good deal to me. Because in saying it's a good deal for me, it's also saying I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm not going to look anywhere else. See, if you're betrothed in the Jewish custom and you go and have relationships elsewhere, well, then divorce would be the nice alternative. Stoning could happen. 
And so it's more than just saying, oh, this sounds good. It's, no, I hear you. I, I accept your bride price. And truly, as happened in many of the ancient customs, no one else really wants you. There's one person who wants you, but it's not to give you a good life. The enemy wants you to spend your life serving other things in him to keep you out of the marriage of the lamb and the marriage supper of the lamb to keep us from enjoying that chupa, the final dwelling place with God. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. right now in just this moment of silence is your time to reflect and to think about the offer that's been made to you in the past. This offer is being made afresh today. Jesus Christ paid the bride price for you. And he wants to give you a promise that says, I will come and you will be my bride. I will know you personally. We'll have an intimate relationship. It'll be full of blessing. I'll give you life. I'll give you a new life. And that would mean turning your back on any of the other suitors in your life, any of the other quarters, those things that are reaching for you, saying, no, be married to me. Have your commitment to me, whether it's a sin, an addiction, pride. And this morning is a great opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I receive your proposal. The price that you paid for me, that you're offering me, is more than enough. Thank you for your proposal of life in you. Your water will make me holy as I follow you and And I will watch and be ready for you. I'll turn my eyes and my heart from other suitors and quarters. And I will let them know that I belong to you. Forgive me of my past life, my sin. And commit my life and my affections wholly unto you. having a change of life and a change of heart and praying something, communicating something like that to the Lord is that step that says, I am yours and you are mine. And that makes you part of the bride of Christ, a new creation with hope for a new day, that one day you'll also dwell with him forever in the place that he's prepared for you and that he prepared for me. And there's some in this room who says, you know, I did receive that and at the time I really knew what I was doing but a lot of times gone by and I I grew tired of waiting and I stopped keeping my lamp full and and I'm finding myself wanting affections from other people from other things 
It's, a, it's as quick as the prayer. It's as quick as the heart change of repentance that says, God, forgive me in my straying and wandering. Thank you for the reminder that you paid the price for me. That I promised that I would wait for you. You're worth waiting for. So we, fresh today, on August 31st, 2014, commit our hearts and our lives to you. And we thank you that we're cleansed and that you're coming soon to get us. Help us to be ready at any moment. Father, thank you for showing us a picture that you are our groom, that we're your beloved, and that you love us, and that you paid the ultimate price and the sacrifice, and, and you're coming again soon. And that day, the trumpet will sound. Your arrival will be here. And we'll come to meet you. And we'll finally be united with you forever. Thank you. We commit our lives afresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen.